Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 53. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Tabitha Shansard. Tabitha is author of the Conquer Anxiety Workbook for Teens, which provides anxiety relief strategies for today's teens. She is a licensed psychologist who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy for a variety of emotional and behavioral difficulties. She treats childhood disorders and is passionate about her work with kids, adolescents, and young adults. She is also co-founder of Dallas Emotional Health, practice located in Dallas, Texas. And if you want to learn more about Tabitha, you can go to her website, which is dallasemotionalhealth.com. So thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege to share my thoughts with your audience. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I, you know, we were talking for a couple minutes before and um, I have told Tabitha and the reason why I, had, I wanted her on the podcast is that I found her book, um, Conquer Anxiety Workbook for Teens on Amazon. And when I got it, I just, I'm blown away by what an amazing book it is and what an amazing guide it is um, for parents, uh, for teens, for tweens. Um, and I, I just love the way that it's written. I love the way that it's relatable. And I, I feel like it's also very current, you know? Um, so I'm excited for you to talk about it. So my first question is, is I wanted to talk a little bit about the process in writing your book and kind of the, your original ideas and who you wanted to reach. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm being fully honest, the the opportunity to write a book just kind of fell in my lap. I'm a, a full-time therapist in private practice. Um, and I do specialize in, in work with teens um, and anxiety. Um, but I hadn't really planned on writing or publishing anything at that time. Um, so a publisher actually just reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, we've, we've researched the market and we know that this is something needed. You know, we've got teens that are looking for a resource like this. Um, and I, I hesitated. I was like, oh, am I the right person to do this? But um, it's such a perfect fit for what I do day in and day out that I just couldn't turn down the project. Um, so I, I think I was telling you this before um, we started. I really selfishly, I just kind of thought no one would read it or it would never reach anybody. I had no idea um, that it would take off the way it has. Um, I knew at the very least, it would be helpful in my own practice um, to use alongside the in-person therapy I do with the teens that I see, um, and that hopefully it would be a helpful resource to them. Um, so that's kind of how I decided to, to do the project. Um, and then <laughs> I, I actually wrote the book while on a maternity leave, um, which was a little crazy in hindsight, um, trying to find time with a newborn to, to get this project going. Um, but once I got started, it, um, really just moved along so quickly because, um, honestly, I just, I channeled my sessions with my teens. I was, I was really stuck on like how to start. Um, and I was like, you know, just thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to 
just think about the sessions that I've had over my years of experience and draw inspiration um, from the kiddos that I, I work with day in and day out. Um, and that just comes so naturally to me that it was really kind of quite easy to then just translate it onto paper. Um, you know, I see these kids all the time and they have very real worries, very real fears and concerns. And um, by channeling that, I think, I think that's what has made the book really relatable and accessible for teenagers and their parents. Um, so I really just feel like I can't even take credit for it because um, it's such a, a group project in essence that, you know, my work through all these wonderful teenagers through the years has allowed me to uh, more intimately and appropriately uh, relay what they experience um, to a, a wider audience. And just to explain to any listeners out there that are listening, like how the book is broken mm-hmm. up. So I like the mm-hmm. way that you broke up the book. Um, the you know part one talking about talking about anxiety, the truth behind mm-hmm. it, terminology. Because I think sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, being someone who's anxious themselves, I mean, I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. Like having that terminology could very yeah. could, could be very helpful because I think a lot of children, a lot of teens it's hard for them to like talk about a feeling without knowing the word. And what I like about the workbook is that it, especially in the first part, it really talks about specific terminology and how to relate it to, let's say a teen or a tween, which I think is very helpful. Um, And part two is calming your anxious mind. Part three is calming your anxious body. And then part four is putting your tools to work. So I like the way you structured the book in the fact that, you know, in the beginning, you really talked about, you know, different terminologies, different exercises. And also for anyone out there, if you don't have the book in front of you, um, is that it like each each section has different exercises that you could do. Either you could do with your child or your child could sit down and they could do it themselves um, but it's very doable activities that you could do, I would say in like 10, 15 minute increments, yeah. which is not overwhelming. That's the other thing too. I think I've had other workbooks in the past, um, that I've had where I feel like it's overwhelming for parents to go right. through where they have to learn so much before they even get to an exercise or the exercise may be something they need a lot of time for. Um, so that's just something I wanted to add. Um, and kind of going into the next question, what is the best way to use the workbook with your teen? Yeah, so it is, it is very structured. And that's what I love about workbooks, um, is that, you know, it gives structure, um, and it can be beautifully clear cut strategies to use. Um, but I, I guess I'd want people to know that in reality, you know, managing anxiety is, messier and more difficult than a workbook often presents it to be. So I wanted to keep that in mind when writing my own workbook. I, and I speak to that in the introduction, you know, that making changes to our emotions takes time and it takes a ton of practice. And it also takes, you know, overcoming missteps with it. You know, there's going to be times where it's successful and times where it's not. Um, so I think the good thing about this workbook is, yes, you can flip to you know, a a thinking strategy or a calming your body strategy. And a lot of times those strategies do provide immediate relief, which is great. But more often than not, um, they 
they require practice and repetition before they really make a difference. Um, Because what we're actually trying to do here is rewire the brain and the brain's response to our emotional reaction to our thoughts. Um, So I, I think the best way to approach the workbook or any workbook is to keep at it. Um, try these different strategies over and over again. Um, and some of them might, I give, I give a bunch of options. So a bunch of cognitive options, which is trying to reframe the way you think about things or look at things through a different lens or different perspective, ways you can calm your body. And there's no right or wrong. A lot of times it's, it's trial and error. You're trying to find a strategy that you feel comfortable with and you don't have to use all, you know, however many strategies there are like 31, I think, um, you don't have to use all 31 to get relief. Um, but finding, you know, a handful that really works for you and then practicing it over and over again. Um, so just like with any new skill, skill, you have to work at it before your brain and body really get it and become in sync with it. So like a new sport, uh, a new instrument, you know, learning a new subject in school. I think teens don't expect to be experts the first time they try something like that. And a lot of times they think if I try this one exercise in a workbook, I should feel 100% better and my anxiety should go away. Um, but it, it doesn't work that way. It works much like learning any new skill. Um, so the same is very much true with learning new emotional regulation skills as well. Um, so that would be, you know, my take home is, um, learn about anxiety, which is that kind of first chapter, um, and the language and, and try to hone in on what you're experiencing and then find some strategies that you think speak to you and then practice, practice, practice. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you talked about because, you know, for parents out there, even teens out there, just because it's not a fix-all. It's not like you're going to do the workbook and then all your anxiety is going to go away, right? Right. And that would be nice. (laughs) That would be nice. But like, I would love that. Yeah, I think, yeah. But I think what it is, what you're talking about is that, you know, you have a lot of different strategies in the book and it's about picking the strategies that work and why I think, personally, why I think it works well. to be doing it with your child is that you could practice the strategies together. You know, like one of the strategies that I really like was doing the math, right? (laughs) Like kind of having, um, you know, one of, one of the strategies. So doing the math means like, what's the probability that's going to happen. And I think what you wrote in your book was that somebody breaking into the house, I have it right here. Um, And you talked about, well, what's the percentage chance that it's going to happen? And it goes into, it goes into more detail if you have the book. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I liked about it was that that was a strategy that I thought I could definitely use because if something came up um, that was making, you know, somebody anxious, one of my kids anxious, Mm -hmm. I could say, well, well, let's do the math. Let's go see what is the probability of that actually happening? And after we really talked about it and it being zero, right, or very low, well, then, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't worry about it. It just means that it's, that's like another, another strategy we could use to Mm -hmm. maybe make us feel a little bit less anxious. And also what you had said too, is that you have to practice, practice, practice to rewire. It's not like all of a sudden it's going to be rewired like in one time. It's going to take a lot of times to, um, to kind of reset that and rewire. Right. So, I mean, yes, exactly. So the brain is, 
the exercises help you learn how to think in these different ways, but it will become more natural with time. Your brain will start to automatically think that way or automatically start to think in this more calm, rational way rather than catastrophizing or overgeneralizing your fears. Um, the more we practice it, it becomes more natural. Um, and then your brain goes to, to these, this way of thinking first, um, as opposed to jumping to the worst case scenario or um, thinking about the worst possible outcome. Um, so I, I think, again, practice helps the brain, you know, basically rewire, rework so that it is habituated to thinking in these ways, which obviously makes us feel calmer. Um, or helps us, if we do have an anxious response or anxious feeling, helps us regain a sense of calmness sooner or fat, uh, more quickly. Right. So how, so just during, during this pandemic, one of the things I wanted to ask you was how it's changed, how your mm-hmm. practice has changed through the pandemic, because you know, no, no one's able to see each other face to face. And, yeah. you know, as far as virtual set, you know, your virtual sessions, you know, how has that changed? Do we have do you, do you see more people um, wanting to come in for therapy? Because I know that, you know, definitely anxiety is on the rise during a pandemic. So Right, right. Um, yeah, I really wasn't sure how it was going to affect my practice. Um, you know, at first when I was, this all started, I was a, in a bit of denial about how all this would turn out or how long this would all last. So I was really torn on how to respond and I wasn't sure. I, I wanted to, it was really difficult because I wanted to model calm, rational, you know, realistic response to, for my anxious teens and their families. You know, I didn't want to uh, model anxious behavior for them. Um, right. And I thought that was really important. Um, but there, um, and then for a moment, there was like a lot of reactive hysteria in the community um, because just everybody, nobody had any sense of what was going on. So I felt a responsibility to model what, what I teach about fear um, which is to, you know, think rationally and reserve a reaction until you have more information. Um, but, um, I, I was also particularly concerned because a common fear among teens and in my practice that I see a lot is this fear of getting sick or dying from illness. And so pandemic is literally, you know, the biggest exposure we could possibly <laughs> go through, yeah. um, mm-hmm. for teens who have already this, this, these fears, um, so I did a lot of soul searching and how I should respond. And obviously as the situation evolved, it became um, quickly pretty clear that it was going to be the safest for me um, to offer video sessions. Um, and luckily, you know, the technology today there, you know, this resource is easy to use and it's so accessible. So it just seemed like in everyone's best interest to, to transition to, um, you know, teletherapy, video therapy, um, since this resource is at our disposal. But um, I was really mindful in communicating this decision to my patients in a way that I, I hope modeled that calmness, that rationality, just kind of taking in the facts and following medical advice. And um, luckily the transition has been really smooth, um, more smooth than I thought. Um, I'm personally, am not like super technologically savvy and not fluent with video chatting it, it it honestly makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable being on screen all the time I don't even like to FaceTime so I was kind of nervous about how that would impact um therapy and my maintaining connection with my patients and particularly like onboarding new patients who might need extra support in this time you know trying to build rapport and connect with people just on video your first time meeting them um but 
especially since most of the bulk of my practice is teenagers, you know, they just, they, they seem to really um, adjust to online video stuff so easily, you know, it's, it's more fluent uh, to them. Um, I think they just do it more often and seem more comfortable with it. So it's gone really smoothly to transition to just video sessions. And a lot of my fears were um, uh, put to ease by how they handled it, how my teens handled it. They're just so resilient. Um, but yeah, that being said, you know, my patients and I are all talking about also feeling very ready to get back to in-person um, things. I think everybody is getting frustrated and tired of so much I'm, online video stuff with school and therapy. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, and I was just also thinking too, because, you know, being say, well, quarantined or quarantine or shelter in place or, you know, whatever kind of term it is, you know, depending on where you are. I think there's also a lot of anxiety, let's say, going back to person, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of reopening. I know there is anxiety there as well. I mean, because I'm in New York um, and so we're kind of in the beginning stages of it. But how do you, you know, do you have any tips for parents on, you know, let's say talking with their teens about their anxiety, about the pandemic. I mean, just to kind of, you know, it's hard to ease the fears Mm -hmm. because I think we also don't know, you know, it's hard (laughs) because we don't always have all the facts. Uh, We don't always know how it's going to, you know, what's, you know, how it's going to go. But I was wondering, you know, any tips for parents? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, You know, it's been really interesting to see, I think in my practice, how, how even with even with the teens that I work with that do have worries and fears about getting sick and stuff, they they really don't seem as concerned as I would have expected about the pandemic itself um, or like getting sick themselves. What what I'm noticing is that they are more concerned with how the pandemic is impacting their day to day life. Um, you know, it's it's a burden to them because it's impacting their ability to socialize or it's changing the way they learn or you know they're at home with their family a ton. And so family dynamic issues are coming out. Um, so I think, you know, the first, I guess, tip I would have for, for parents, um, if they're seeing, you know, this anxious distress in their teenagers is really to start with empathizing. Um, you don't have to have all the answers and that's okay. Um, but, you know, even if they aren't worried about the virus, the disruption, I think, to their structure and their social world and all the, their access to their typical outlets is, is really significant. And so I think, um, you know, just taking a step back and listening and empathizing with how much this really stinks and is hard is, is just really powerful. Um, it's more powerful than I think parents sometimes realize. Um, and then I think parents want to fix it. You know, they want to they want to problem solve and they want to to make it better. And while you know being able to offer some suggestions at times is helpful, um, it's it's amazing to see how you know again resilient teens are. So they actually are are likely to know a lot of the solutions themselves. Um, so I think if they come to you distressed, they probably are really just wanting you to uh, commiserate with them. Um, and then rather trying, rather than trying to find a solution for them, I think taking a step back and, and asking them what they think they should do about it or what they can do about it. It's so saying something like, um, you know, is there anything 
you think you can do to feel better or um, I know I know this is really hard it's really tough you know how do you think you can handle this situation um, I think this gives them a sense of validation for the the difficulty that they're experiencing but I think it balances it by also giving them a sense of empowerment um, during a time where they they are less likely to feel like they're in control. I mean, we all feel out of control right now. Um, so I think it tells them that you you believe in their ability to handle difficult situations and that they are capable of coming up with answers and solutions within themselves. But they're also on standby there with them in the wings to provide support and help if they need it. And I think empowering your teen who is feeling anxiety is one of the most important things you can do because I mean this is what anxiety does anxiety is the result of self-doubt and the fear that something bad's going to happen and not only that that something bad's going to happen but that you can't handle it when that bad things happen um that the bad thing's going to happen and it'll be out of your control to make it any better so I think by encouraging your teen, teen supportively to communicate their worries and articulate how they can deal with it um, I think that sends a really power, a positive message of empowerment. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love that. And just kind of when you were, when you were talking, it kind of brought me to, you know, my, my next thought about, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, let's say teens or tweens could get maybe anxious or feel sad about not seeing their friends anymore. Mm-hmm. And there are some, I think there are some teens that feel, you know, really, um, comfortable doing FaceTime or that they, you know, they like to do FaceTime or zooming or whatever video, um, platform you're using. But I think after a while too, it gets hard because, you know, they're so used to those peer interactions all the time in school. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to get your, um, your perspective on the effect of social distancing, on Mm -hmm. teens and how to work through that with your teen, because, you know, it's hard, especially if you have, um, I know some, you know, other children that may struggle with some social anxiety anyway, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. you have social distancing. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. I I also really do worry about this because I mean, develop developmentally speaking, you know, one of the a teenager's primary developmental milestone during this time is is mastering social relationships outside of their family. You know, they they need to pull back from their parental relationships and start transitioning what they've learned from their parents into their own social relationships that occurs with peers. So, I think this is a big issue for teens because you know, right now it isn't safe to engage with their peers the way they really probably need to. Um, So I think, you know, recently a a lot of my therapy sessions have been very geared around finding creative ways to meet their developmental social needs um, while also trying to, you know, make sure that they're safe um, and reduce the risk of infection for them um, and their family members. Um, So this is tricky. I think it's not, you know, it's really not an easy task um, to find, (laughs) find ways to do this. But again, coming back to, I think teens, Teens need the empowerment to to figure some of these things out for themselves. Um, and and whenever I have worked with with my my patients recently, and, and just asking them, you know, how 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 are you going to be able to to see your friends? How are you working through this? Um, 
they're, they're just, they're really resilient and they're super creative in, in finding ways to connect with their peers one way or another, whether that's, you know, technology and social media, um, or, you know, if it's interesting things like having picnic lunches in their front yard, six feet away or sitting at each other's windows and talking through glass, you know, they're finding ways to get their needs met. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. And I think, especially for the older teens, kind of, again, as parents taking a step back and allowing them opportunity to brainstorm with you, um, just come together and find the safest way possible for, for your teens to connect with their peers. Um, and I think that that also might mean that parents might have to loosen some restrictions that they might normally have. Um, so, um, this has come up in my practice recently. Um, I've got several teens who they, they can connect to their peer group through, through video games and gaming. And normally speaking, you know, their parents would only allow them to play on, on weekends or, you know, they'd have like, you know, only an hour that they got to play a day. Um, so this might be a time where we, we kind of take a step back and, and reevaluate things like that and, and, provide more time for teens to connect with their peers in these, you know, interesting or different ways um, might mean, you know, kind of readjusting some of the, the typical limits we set on them um, and kind of talking through that. Yeah. I like that you brought that up. It kind of, you know, goes right into my next question about social mm-hmm. media. Cause I know yeah. that is one of the big things for parents about, you know, what age they think their child should start using social media. And now that kids are home all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to see just about, you know, your feelings, um, or your research or, you know, your thoughts on the effect of social media and it's linked to, if you think there's a link to depression or anxiety and mm-hmm. kind of any way that parents could help monitor support their kids. Cause you know, it's always very hard to just say, well, we're never going to do social media. Right? right. Because I think Absolutely. eventually the kids will be on social media, but you know, my kids are younger. So I've just, it's more just about learning about social media and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. overseeing it. But for teens yep. who are on social media, um, I just, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the biggest issue with social media and in, in adolescents in particular um, is, you know, they already are experiencing a very heightened and constant sense of judgment and comparison with their peers. Um, and social media just tends to um, exaggerate that. Um, so developmentally, a teen's sense of self isn't quite formed yet. Um, you know, that's their developmental milestone um, is to, to work on that, finding out who they are and identity development. Um, and that often just leaves teens feeling very vulnerable and fearful of rejection. Um, so as they're trying to basically kind of figure out who they are and, and how they're going to relate themselves within society, they can't, they don't have that like strong sense firm boundary sense of self yet that they can kind of fall back on if they get, um, you know, emotionally injured or criticized by a peer. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is a lot of teens experience this phenomenon of the, the quote unquote imaginary audience. Um, and actually I think I touch on that in the book too, but it's where they just feel like everything they do, every decision, every decision they make, um, is being observed and judged by peers. Like they're on a stage and everybody is watching every little thing they do. Um, and this was really scary and uncomfortable. Um, and so I think, I think social media, unfortunately, plays into this vulnerability um, and can just flood 
teens with constantly feeling insecure and uncertainty. Um, so before social media, I guess like back in my day, <laughs> we would we would have these insecurities and feelings all day at school or when we're with our peers, um, which is okay because developmentally you're working through it and growing, but you'd still feel that insecurity uh, around them, but then you get to go home and, you know, almost be protected or isolated from it for a little while. Um, social media, however, I think it's just, you know, it's out of finger, uh, teens fingertips 24 seven. And so I think what happens is there's no off time to work through and rebuild your sense of self and reestablish your self-esteem from the day-to-day so that you can then go into the next day and, and continue growing and working on your identity development. Um, so, you know, that being said, I, 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 I don't, obviously I don't think we can completely villainize social media and just say no, none of it. Um, because, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it also uh, has a way of connecting people who might otherwise feel isolated or um, strained from relationships at school. Um, you know, I know a lot of kids that they go to small private schools and they just haven't found their people there. They don't relate to their handful of peers, which is actually normal. You know, it's okay to not connect with every person you meet. Um, so they're finding that community online or, um, or able to stay connected with friends outside of their small social network um, so that they can feel connected. Um, so, and, you know, I think it can also provide teens with strong role models. It can give, to, give to, uh, teens encouragement, um, and it helps, can help them connect, I think, to resources they otherwise might not have access to. So it's not all good. It's not all bad. Um, but I think, yeah, I think probably what's most important is, you know, learning how to moderate its use, you know, and, and teaching your teenagers that, you know, that yes, it has some pros, but it also has some cons. And um, we need the content of what you're doing online, the, the images and the people you're surrounding yourself on with online are just as important as the the peers you choose in real life. Um, So focusing on, you know, how much we experience social media, making sure we, we learn those limits and boundaries for ourselves. Um, and then also, again, focusing on the content of what we're seeing through social media and trying to make sure that that is, is empowering and positive and helpful um, as much as we can. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you. I also think just even as an adult, that's very mm-hmm. true because, mm-hmm. you know, just, re- just with regards to like my social media, I mean, if I find that something's bringing me down, then I'm going to make sure to kind of take that, you know that part out of my social media, you know, so I could be a little bit. And I think as parents, we could, you know, tell our kids, you know, if let's just say, you know, your child says, well, you know, I saw this online and it upset me. Um, Kind of saying just as a model, oh, well, you know what? Something happened like that to me. I, you know, I saw this. It got me, you know, got me a little bit upset. So I decided to alter my social media feed so that I don't see that anymore. Um, So, and so what you were saying, just surrounding yourself with, with people that you connect with, I, um, I just totally agree with that. I think it's important for teens, it's important for adults. Um, and you know, as far as connection goes, cause I know, you know, connection is hard right now because we can't see people really face to face, at least close. 
maybe be, maybe six feet and beyond. Um, <laughs> but depending, yeah. you know, um, but you know, being able to connect through social media is also one of those, those great things as well. Um, right. so exactly. I, I liked how you talk about the pros and the cons and one, one last question that somebody mm-hmm. had actually, a friend had asked me to talk about with you sure. was that if your teen is, let's say good friends with another, let's say one of another friend who is, let's say very anxious. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when that teen is talking to their friends, it makes them more anxious, you know, just yeah. kind of getting that, that anxiety kind of just. I know between the two, let's say between the two girls, they each, yeah. like one person will get more anxious when they talk to the other. Um, yeah. What would you, what suggestion would you give to that teen or that parent about that relationship or that friendship? Right. Um, you know, it's tricky because I think we want to model that, you know, it's good to, to, to share. And to one thing I like is that teams are talking about anxiety more with each other and feel safe to do that. Um, but also, you know, you're a friend, you're not a therapist, you're not a parent, you know, that these are big things to carry and to put, you know, as a friend, a lot of times they put that on their own shoulders, um, and feel the burden of their friends, worries and fears and feelings. Um, so, you know, I think, I think I might, you know, teach, um, your child, I guess, to, um, how to be supportive, um, and listen and kind of be there for your, your, your friend, um, much like I encourage parents to do for their kids. You know, you don't have to solve their problem. You don't have to give them strategies or tools all of the time. Sometimes it's just important to just kind of be the shoulder to cry on, be there and just say, yeah, that stinks. Yeah, that's really hard. Um, I know that that's, that's tough. Um, and I think, I think kids can do that. I think teens can do that for their peers, you know, to say, gosh, that that's really hard. Yeah. Um, and encourage them to feel like they don't have to necessarily solve them, solve their problem, um, or know exactly how to respond or exactly the right thing to do or say. Um, and then, you know, I think also talking to your team just about, um, personal boundaries. This is a tough lesson to learn, but, um, you know, that you can't necessarily control what somebody else is thinking and feeling, but you can control what you're thinking and feeling. And so if your team's feeling anxious or or distressed, um, you know, teaching them how they can just take care of themselves first, and then that might give them a little bit more, um, calm freedom to be a supportive friend. So I think that's a really good just lesson to teach and to learn um, is self-care, you know, and we can't carry the weight of the world of everyone else on our shoulders, especially if we aren't taking care of ourselves first. Exactly. And I I love that part of your book about self-care because it gives some Mm -hmm. examples of self-care, but I think it's something that is coming up more and more now during the pandemic. Um, at least recently I've, I've kind of just noticed it more, um, Mm -hmm. because when we don't take care of ourselves and we can't take of any, take care of anyone else. So, and I think that kind of goes with, um, that goes for whatever age you are, you know, mom or dad or teen or child, you know, you have to take care of yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. and so whether that's maybe taking a shower or Mm -hmm. taking a walk or spending time with your pet or, maybe right. just watching a show. Um, yeah. 
that, you know, being able to take care of yourself is just really important. I think, and I think it also has to start with the parent because if a child doesn't see their parent taking care of themselves, then it's hard to know what that looks like, you know? So I think, (laughs) yeah, and that's something I've learned because, you know, I'm definitely one to like make dinner for everyone and be like, oh, wait, where's my dinner? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, you know, to kind of be like, wait a second, I need to also take care of myself. So, you know, whether that's, you know, taking, you know, going to exercise and sometimes the killer, why are you, you know, why are you going to go take a walk or exercise? It's like, because I need to feel better, you know, like right now I'm really stressed. Um, so I'm going to go take a walk or I'm really tired and I need to go lay down. Um, so just let me take care of myself because I'll be better later if you, you know, just give me some time. And, you know, also I just think too, like what I was saying to my kids is that it's okay to ask for space right now, because I know, you know, it's close quarters, you know, especially for those in apartments, um, Mm -hmm. having those very close quarters and maybe before it wasn't such an issue, um, because, you know, they're in school all day and they don't, you know, they may not, depending on the specific person, may not need their own space at night, personal space, I mean, like not physical space. Um, but what I was saying to my kids is that it's okay to ask for personal space. It's okay Absolutely. to go to your room and just close the door and, and need some time to yourself. That's fine. Absolutely. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And if somebody needs that personal space, we have to respect that. Um, so anyway, I, I really like that. I think for any parents out there, definitely getting this book because it's could be like your Bible. So I love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) It really, it really is just really wonderful. So, um, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we finish up? No, I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, obviously I could talk about this for days on end, but I, you know, I really do think the modeling, piece is important um, in the self-care piece right now because, you know, emotion regulation is a, it's a higher level cognitive skill. If you think of it from that point of view, we need, we need nutrition, we need relaxation, we need sleep, we need um, exercise, we need to fill our tank with gas in order to be able to run the marathon that our brain needs us to run whenever we are trying to control our emotions. So, you know, remembering that it's, you know, anxiety in particular, but obviously all negative emotions, you need your brain kind of to, to be at its best in order to do that higher level skill. And if we don't do the basics, um, you certainly can't expect it to, to do those higher level skills that we need it to do to really, really help keep anxiety at bay and to think rationally and clearly and calmly. Um, so I really think the self-care piece and, and as a parent, being able to model that and give your kids and teens space to do that as well is super important. Well, thank you so much for, you know, our talk today. Cause I, you know, I oh, found it very helpful me. and I know anyone that's going to listen, that's going to get your book. It's going to be very helpful for them. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. Yeah. Listen and learn with us at Language Jerry Mealtime. 